Hey, we're going to jump right in this morning. Um, got a lot of stuff we're going to cover here today. Uh, I had this really cool intro. We were all going to stand up and sing a song and learn a song. Does anybody ever remember back when uh, you would do, um, you would learn how to memorize scripture by singing songs? Is anybody back in the... Um, 50s and 40s and the 60s and 90s, and, and anyhow, we used to sing songs, but there was a song that uh, came from a verse called, from a verse, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, but uh, that scripture is such a powerful scripture, we want to read it here this morning, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, and look at this, because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Amen? Why don't you turn to somebody, just share a little love, high-five love with them or something right there. Say, love you, brother, love you, sister, husband, wives, right? Well, you know, this seems like such a basic statement, and, um, you know, it's so simple, it's so elementary, we all know this. Uh, right, we all know that that God is love, and that we're um, we have the opportunity to love one another. But I, I wonder, how, do we really know it? Uh, we've been in this series, you know, called God is Love, and one of the things that we found out is that that all of the attributes, all of the characteristics about God, is that we we really only scratch the surface in understanding them, because God is infinite. He's just so so vast, so so much, and so. Just like all of the other characteristics, we only know a portion, just a, just a small degree of the amazing love of God and who God is as love. So he is infinitely perfect. He is infinitely and perfectly love in all of his ways. And, and guys, this is really important for us to understand because from time to time, the accuser will come along and he'll accuse God to you. He'll say something like, maybe you've heard this, well, God really doesn't care, God's too busy for you, or, you know, if you, God's really ticked off at you because of what you did, and, and how many people know that those things are not true, right? They're, they're just not true. So everything that God does, everything that God thinks, all of his plans, they're completely in love. His goodness is in love. His judgments, his wrath is in love. All of his thoughts towards you, they're all founded and formed in love. I think that's why when we um, get to the book of Ephesians chapter 3, we find out that the Apostle Paul, who had been, really been filled with legalism and hatred, and, and uh, remember he was, he was persecuting the church and putting people to death, but then he had an encounter with Jesus, with love. Remember that? And, and, it, and it seemed like something bad happened to him because in that encounter he was blinded and had some real difficulties. But uh, then what was Jesus doing? He was saturating him. He was informing him through love. And so later when Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he says this in verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He said, this is my prayer 
from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Isn't that great that Paul's praying for that Ephesus church? But I believe that's a living prayer for us today, that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, Can I tell you that every relationship that's really going to be successful, and we'll talk more about this, but it's going to be rooted and grounded in love. But you may be rooted and grounded in love, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints. He's talking about us today, right? Turn to the person beside you, say he's talking about you. All the saints, you're a saint, okay? You're not an eight, you are a saint, all right? With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know to know the love of God, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. I love this scripture, that word know, we've talked about it before, but that word know in the Greek is gnosko, and it, and it has several applications. One of them is intimacy, that we might have an intimate relationship with God, and, and in that intimate relationship with God, we'd be so filled up with the fullness of Jesus Christ that it flows in us, it fills us up, and then flows out to other people. That's God's plan, is that we be filled with his love so that his love flows out to every single person that we come in contact with. <clears throat> so you ready to jump in? Here we go. All right. Um, I've got to tell you, I've really been wrestling. I felt like... Uh, I really have felt like this is that this is kind of just a one of those divine appointment times, and so um, I want to encourage everybody. Remember, as Roger or myself or Chris who stands up here, as we're ministering and teaching, what we really are wanting to accomplish is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And so, what we want to do, what I believe God's going to do today, is going to give some revelation, give some something to some people that you're going to be able to not be helped yourself, but it'll help you, but it'll also help other people. Amen. So in a typical message about love in churches, you start off with a statement, something like this. It says, um, you know, love manifests in many different ways, and um, love can be uh, involve personal affection or sexual attraction or platonic admiration. There can be brotherly loyalty. There can be um, all kinds of uh, benevolent concern and uh, or even like just adorate, worshipful adoration today like we experienced just a few minutes ago. These are all manifestations of uh, love. But to truly understand what love is, we need to go back to the origin and to what the Bible tells us. And the Bible tells us that love originates in God. He is love and he's the source of all love. Listen, there would be no love in the world if it didn't first come from God. Like I mentioned last week, uh, things don't evolve into better situations. People don't become more and more loving, right, Uh, But on their own. It takes the work of God. So in the English language, um, the the, the English language is very limited um, when it comes to descriptive words. And so, for example, the word love is used in many, many different applications, um, it has a lot of different inferences and meanings, and uh, um, but, but we love those things in all different ways, because if you love ice cream like you love your spouse, then we've really got some problems. We'll have Pastor Chris will counsel with you and talk to you about that, okay? So, 
But um, the languages in which the Bible was written, the Hebrew and the Greek, are much more precise in the way that they use words, and uh, specifically the word love. The Greek language of the New Testament um, has uh, four, the Bible biblically, well, actually the Greek language has about seven different words that it uses to describe love, and um, and then, uh, but biblically, there are four words that are used or alluded to, and those four words are storge, which means uh, empathy, family bond of love, you know, uh, how we love each other in our families, uh, phileo, which is friendship love or brotherly love, like the, you know, Philadelphia in the Bible. I wouldn't necessarily say Philadelphia in uh, our world, but Philadelphia in the Bible, the city of brotherly love. Um, and then there's eros which is romantic or sexual love. Um, and there's agape, which is the unconditional love of God, the highest love of all kind. And, um, and uh, today, we're going to focus on these first three aspects of love. Normally speaking, uh, yeah, agape is very unique. It's very, um, it's very bibliocentric. It's mostly only used in a in uh, biblical terminologies in a biblical context, and um, and and without agape, it is it, it takes agape to fulfill all of the other kinds of love, and so um, uh, all of this love, all of these loves come from God, and they are a reflection of of who He is. And so, uh, great news again next week. Pastor Roger will be preaching an amazing message on uh, God is love, and he'll, he'll explain to us all about agape and how that works in our lives, and he'll correct all of the things that I uh, mess up up here today. Okay, love is a noun, and love is a verb. What does that mean? It means that, that love is who God is, and it's also what God does. The purpose of love is to know God, to know him as love, to know his love, and then out of that love to live in love for others. Every relationship we have is supposed to be just framed. It's supposed to be uh, fashioned in, in love. So love is active. Love is giving. Love gi God gives his love to us. He fills us with his love. And then, as we said earlier, he pours his love through us to other people. So the first aspect of love that we're going to talk about today is eros. It's the romantic love. It's the uh, sexual implication of love. It's uh, eros is where we get the word erotic, okay? And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about here. I was waiting for everybody to calm down just a little bit. You know, we get a little bit, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but I get a little bit nervous <laughs> starting to talk about these things. And, uh, and uh, maybe we get a little shy, or sometimes we even get a little shameful because of um, things that have gone on and things that uh, were uh, never a part of God's desire. And when it comes to things that have to do with a sexual type of love, you know, God's intention was that there would never be uh, shame, that there would never be uh, those types of, uh, of guilt and things that people deal with today. That wasn't God's desire. You see, God created us with sexual identity, male and female. He created us with bodies that differ, but they complement each other. And his purpose was so that we could be together, we could come together to fulfill his plan in our individual lives, but also fulfill his plan for all of humankind, all of humanity. Amen? And how many people know all God's plans are good, great plans? So I think um, 
I, I, don't, I think it's obvious that the culture we live in today is um, a very distorted, has a lot of dist- very distorted and twisted things. And, um, and I think what the culture believes about the church, um, the, the culture unfortunately believes that the church is negative or um, ignorant when it comes to, to um, discussing having a voice when it comes to talking about uh, sexual things, when it comes to talking about gender or sexual identity or um, any, any area of sexuality. And the reason I believe this is, is because the church, we've talked about it too little, okay? We, we haven't spoke, we haven't stepped into this uh, often enough. Now, I'm not saying that there have not been things said and done that were unloving, unloving and unbiblical. Um, certainly, there have been some of those things said. I personally um, have never been in a place where I've heard some of the negative connotations that the world would say about the church. I've never heard the, the church espouse hate or um, wishing people would go to hell or all those type of uh, negative connotations. But I think the big problem is that in many cases, the only thing that was being said were the negative things, you know, the, the wrong things, the misconceptions. And because of that, then I think that the world, I think that our culture has just um, by, by default said, well, that must be what the church believes. It must be what Christians believe because basically that's the only thing that's being said are these negative things about, about sexuality or what people are doing or how they're doing or how they're living. And, and I believe that it's way past time for the people of God to speak up from a healthy, from a holistic from a completely biblical view of sexuality. Uh, Listen, folks, we live in a world that is seeking for answers. And in the midst of the lust and of the distortion and the disappointment that's filling our world today, come on, we, we can agree with that, right? Uh, this this twistedness, this 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 deformity of understanding and and practice of sexuality, it, it's causing so much difficulty in our world today. And we are the people that have the answers. We're the people that that have the answers biblically, but hopefully experientially in our lives, we're experiencing the love of God. We're experiencing healthy relationships in our marriages and in our families and in our friendships. And we've got the key to be able to share this love that offers life and joy and love to the entire world. So let's not keep it a secret. Amen? Amen. So let me start with a couple of framing statements here. First of all, God created our bodies and he said that they are very good. Um, I know that in our world today that there's pictures, there's all kinds, again, of things that have to do with lust and distortion. And we think that then sometimes we go, oh, the body, there's something negative or shameful about that. And that's just not true. That's just not true. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be uh, um, hateful. I'm not trying to be uh, um, picking a fight here. But can I say that if we're living from a biblical worldview, that the the only things that are created are male and female. 
okay? The only sexes, the only genders are male and female. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. Uh, the, the whole, all of the things, the attacks that are going on about the bodies and body image and, and how bodies are used. And, 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 and so we've got to have this negative connotation about, about the body. I'm just telling you, that's not true. Do you realize that, that to redeem us, God sent Jesus in a body? Amen? For you and I to be the carriers of the gospel, of the good news, of, of salvation, of freedom, of deliverance, of healing, of all that there is, it gets carried to the world for a body. Amen? So our bodies are to fulfill wonderful, wonderful purposes. And there, there's a, a belief that used to, um, well, it, it still exists in our world today, but it's called Gnosticism, where people would say, hey, Whatever I do in my body doesn't impact the rest of life. So I can live any way I want with my body as long as my heart, as long as my bo- as long as my heart's okay. We hear that in our world today. Oh, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. I, but then I can do whatever I want and live however I want and act however I want. And it's okay. There's not a separation there. What we do in the body impacts our spiritual lives just like what we do in the spirit is going to impact our bodies. Amen. Amen, amen. And, and folks, it's easy to get caught up in this. I heard myself say the other day to somebody, they said something about, um, they said something about, oh, well, we're just having a temporary uh, experience here on earth. And, and I said, yeah, we're just having a, we're having a, we're, we're spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience. Or, and that sounds good, except it's almost saying that, hey, just what's in the spirit is important, but not what's in the body. Can I tell you that there's going to come a time when these physical, fleshly bodies will pass away, and I don't understand um, everything about how all this works, but in eternity, we're going to have glorified bodies. God has a purpose and a plan for our bodies, and his purpose and plan for our bodies here on earth is that we would use them to worship and to serve and to please him in every aspect of our lives. Amen? Uh, second thing, um, God is not a prude Anybody know what a prude means? Somebody that's just kind of, oh, you know, um, they, they're just old and they just don't ever think, uh, they, you know, to even discuss something that had the word sexual or erotic or something like that, <clears throat> just would, uh, it would be wrong. Well, that's, got, listen, the idea of sexuality, of romance, of romantic love, it did not start with Hollywood. I know this is, okay, didn't start with Cosmo or any of those other ugly kind of magazines and stuff like that. It started with God. Where the idea of sex and sexual intimacy and romantic love came from, <coughs> excuse me, it came from God. It was his idea. And it is his idea for this sexual, sensual love to be a sign of who he is. Now, I want to... Uh, I want to just hopefully help you with this this morning because, listen, I know our world is always discussing this. And if you're a parent or a grandparent here, listen, you need to be equipped to have this discussion with your children or your children's children. Because I'm telling you, the world's always talking about it, okay? Every time you turn around, every commercial you turn around, I could go into just hundreds of illustrations there. 
But um, I really believe that these cries for a, a sexual identity and for a sexual um, experience and fulfillment in sexual areas of our lives, what it really is expressing is a longing that's put into their hearts for an intimate relationship first and foremost with God. Amen? So let me say it like this, that, that desire you have for a healthy relationship, for a romantic relationship, if you're married or unmarried, uh, I'm telling you, that's not something bad. That's not something wrong in you. Now, how it gets processed, okay? I've talked with a couple of men just in the last couple of weeks who've um, dealt with issues of pornography, and, um, and as I was preparing for this, I was saying, listen, that, that, that expression of it might be wrong, but the longing for a healthy, intimate relationship is something that God has put in us. It's just got to be processed in the right way and in the right format. So God is love, and uh, God loves us. He desires for us to have an internal relationship with Him. God wants us to have an, an intimate relationship with him. Think about this. <clears throat> in Genesis, the first chapter, God creates man and woman. He brings them together in a covenant relationship, okay, we call marriage there. And then uh, their purpose is going to, uh, to be able to enjoy this, um, them, them, each other and procreate and, and you know, make babies and fill the earth. So that, that's the beginning of the Bible. The beginning of Jesus' ministry What's the first place Jesus did a miracle? It was at a marriage, wasn't it? It was at a marriage. Okay, he, he made turn the wine in. He kind of blessed the, the marriage with his, uh, the wedding there with his presence. Do you, know how, do you know how history ends? History ends with um, the bride of Christ marrying the groom, coming together with the groom, and celebrating with the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, we, we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, in, in, but do you know why you have a marriage supper? It's because you have a marriage. Can, can you understand the fact God wants to marry us? I, I mean, we're the, we're the bride of Christ, and, and, and there's an intimate longing for an intimate relationship. Now listen, not a sexual relationship. Again, we're limited in our understanding. A few weeks ago, I was... Um, uh, I did a, fu a funeral, and uh, at the end of the funeral, this person came up and said, Pastor, I've got a question for you. said, my um, wife, who had just died, um, was previously married very early in life, and then came to the Lord, and then we met, and then we've been married for uh, umpteen years. And, so, and he said, well, the Bible says um, that, that uh, you know, when, when we get to heaven, uh, who's, whose wife is she going to be? Uh, who's she going to be married to? Now, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty good question. Somebody in the Bible asked that, and the response to it is this, is that, that the intimacy that we can experience with God by His Spirit in a glorified body is so far beyond any type of intimacy and any type of experience that we can uh, experience here on earth that it pales in comparison. So what I'm saying here is that, that God's desiring an intimate relationship with us individually and as a part of, as being a part of the body of Christ. Is that pretty exciting to you? 
that God desires us and that what we sense, I believe a lot of times, is that what he's placed in us is a desire for him, but because we're so limited, we process it through a lot of other things. We, we, we process it by, I'm going to hunger and thirst to get some type of an appetite satisfied. I, I see what can meet my need, and can I tell you what God plants in us as love often gets distorted and twisted into lust. Lust says, I want what I want, take care of me. You know what love says? Love gives and says, I'm going to provide for you. Amen? So, sexual love between a husband and a wife is a beautiful gift. It's not unclean. It's not evil. It's the gift of God to married couples to express their love one for another, to strengthen the bond between them, and to allow reproduction. As a matter of fact, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, okay, the Bible, <laughs> One whole book of the Bible is dedicated to sexual, sensual, this erotic love. It's called the book of Song of Solomons. Anybody ever read Song of Solomons? Okay. You might want to try that. It'll be Okay. <clears throat> so, now again, I know this isn't what our world sees today. And yes, I agree that there's a lot of sexual stuff that goes on outside of the plan and the purpose of God. I um, was taking a class recently, and I, I read this uh, um, from a writer. His name's Christopher West. He said this. He says, because of the effects of sin, it's as if we're all driving around town in cars with flat tires. The rubber is shedding off the rims. The rims are getting dented up, and we think it's all normal. After all, everyone's tires look this way. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to us, in the beginning, they had air in their tires. <laughs> In the beginning, it wasn't this way. And Christ is coming along, and he's injecting hope to the, to the listeners, hope of restoration, hope of healing, hope of redemption. Jesus came to restore creation to the purity of its origins, to put air back in the tires, <laughs> to restore sexuality to its originally created purpose so that people could live in a way that was going to be extremely beneficial for everybody. You see, Paul dealt with this. He dealt with these same things back in the book of Corinthians. In, verse, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, he's talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Why? Because our bodies were not created for sexual immorality. They were created for sexual fulfillment. They were created to glorify God even in those sexual moments. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 puts it like this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, God's saying, hey, that, that sexual immorality, it's not that God's being approved. God's trying to be around. He's saying it's never going to bring the fulfillment in your life that you want if it's not being conducted in the bonds of marriage. Since this original sin, shame and lust, have twisted the beauty of God's plan for sexuality. And the act of sex between a husband and a wife has, been so often, has so often been distorted. This ongoing pattern has continued to harden people's hearts, their minds, and their bodies against the plan of God today. And can I tell you, that's where we're at. We're in a world that's been so hardened, that's believed a lie for so long, that there's, uh, they're actually living in a delusion, thinking that the, they're operating right, they're driving the cars with the empty tires, and that's how it should be done, and they've yet to experience what it's really supposed to be like. 
So I'm not throwing stones at anybody. There are plenty of sex sins to go around. Inside of marriage, outside of marriage, all around us. So no matter what your situation, and please hear me in this today. This is the message that we need to carry to the world. No matter what your situation is today, no matter what your area of sexuality that you're struggling with or failing in, God loves you today. God loves you today. God, God, God's not trying to destroy you. God's trying to help you. And can I say that I love you today? And, and New Covenant Church, we love you today. No matter what area that, you, that you're struggling in. Uh, God, and we're here. We're here, and God's here to help and to give hope and to, and to give strength. That, that, that's why we're here. And I want you to know that there is room at the table for everybody to come and to have a discussion and to come and to have fellowship in the midst of these difficulties. But God's plan is still to redeem and to restore through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's seeking to resurrect his plan, his plan for sexuality in your life and in my life. He wants to restore the purpose so that the beauty of it will attract those who are confused, who are lost and hurting. Listen to me. Let me, let me say it like this. I really do believe that God is wanting to raise up uh, singles and married couples who are living in the wholeness of the identity, the sexual wholeness of the identity that he's created you for, so that there will be so much beauty in your life that all the people around you are going, hey, I want what they've got. How, how do you get that? And you go, well, you know how you get it? You get it by starting, by living in, in a way that I'm fulfilling the purpose of God in my life. I'm depending on the Spirit of God, the strength of God in my life to fulfill his purposes and his desires. You know, in John chapter 8, there's a very powerful scripture, and it talks about, it says that uh, the, whole, the context is that Jesus was doing some teaching in the midst of this time of teaching. Some uh, real spiritual people brought, they caught this woman in the very act of adultery. It's interesting. They didn't catch the man, just the woman. I don't understand how that all works. But uh, uh, so <laughs> in all of their love and grace, they drag this woman out and throw her at the feet of Jesus and say to Jesus, Jesus, the law says that this woman should be stoned. She should be condemned to death because of her sin. Now, you know, uh, there's a whole lot of teaching that could be done right here. But can I say this? This scripture right here shows how very much that Jesus and Christianity values the place of women, okay? Don't ever believe for a second. I don't care what the world says and what the intellectuals say. Nothing has been better for the case of men, and nothing's been better for the case of women than Christianity, okay? The de devaluation of people that has taken place in the past, okay, it's corrected in Jesus Christ, and so, so, listen, Jesus says, they say, Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus says, well, hey, you who um, are without sin, and in my belief, I believe say, he's saying, you who are without sexual sin, why don't you throw the first stone? So you who've never had a lustful thought, you who've never treated somebody inappropriately, you throw the first stone, and, uh, and, and then we'll see where we go from there. And nobody threw a stone, they all walk away, right? And when they walk away, Jesus looks down at her and he says, woman, where are they? No one has condemned you. And she said, no, Lord, not one person. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go 
And from now on, sin no more. Now, I know that there have been times when we've read the scripture and we think that Jesus is laying some type of a heavy burden on her. You've been a bad girl, don't do it. You know, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, look, you've been forgiven. You've been set free from, from condemnation. You've been set free from the pattern of your life that you were living that brought you to this embarrassing, shameful moment. Rise up, child. You don't have to live like this anymore. Rise up. You are free now to go and to live a whole new way. So take my power. Take my strength. Take my freedom and go and do that. Folks, we've got a choice in the matter. We are not controlled by our bodies or our, our, our fleshly desires. We can get from God the strength that we need, the fullness of his presence, so that we can live in such a way that it will glorify him and it will show his beauty to a hungry world. Amen? Amen. Before we leave this topic, let me read one more, uh, one more scripture here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast, they shall cleave, they shall be glued to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is, a profound, is so profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, the image of a husband and wife loving each other in every degree, every way, is an image, it's a picture to the world of how God loves his church, of how God loves his people, of his desire to have an intimate relationship with his people. You see, the relationship between a husband and a wife, it should involve erotic, okay, sexual, sensual love. It really should. This desire is not a lust-driven passion to get something from somebody. And, and, and if, if this... Listen, I hope we can all get this. It's not a lust-driven passion. It's not about, I just get my needs through them or they get, you know. It's about being willing to devote, to lovingly give, and to donate ourselves to the other person for their benefit. Their benefit. And can I say, through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of counseling sessions here in Tyler, Texas, this has been one of the greatest things that I've been able to share with people is, listen, if you really want to have the, the, the best um, experience of your life, then don't be concerned about your needs. Be concerned about the other person's needs. Amen? Well, that's a pretty good way to live in every aspect of love, isn't it? In every aspect of love. So um, we're not going to have time to get to it here today, but uh, the other two words of love is storge. It's that family love. Can I tell you that I believe with all of my heart that there's, a, there's, a, there's an underground, there's a revival taking place where God's working a work of restoration of right relationships in families, where he's bringing healing to marriages and healing to the hearts of parents and children so that families can once again be cities set on a hill, a light that's set on a hill that men could look to it. They could see, hey, that's the kind of family. That's the kind of life. I had a, uh, a discussion with somebody on the phone last week, and they live in another city and, and going through some conflicts. And I just said, well, let me ask you, who do you want to be? What do you want to be? And he began to describe this picture of I, I, want, I want to have a, a good marriage, and I want to be a good father, and I want to be a good husband. And I, I said, you know what you want? You're painting the picture of God's plan for your life. How are you? you can't do it in your own strength. Why don't you welcome God in and watch what he does? I'm just telling you, that's God's plan. 
that's God's plan, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and, and, and to uh, bring people back, to stop being lovers of themselves, but being lovers of God and ready to serve, uh, ready to serve others. And can I say this just real quickly? Um, is that just doesn't just include your family, your biological, natural family. It also includes the body of Christ. It also includes the church. We are a spiritual family, and I believe that God is bringing unity and strength and wholeness and health to the body, to this body of Christ and to the body of Christ around the world. And I don't know that this is for sure, this is my opinion, but maybe what we've been going through in these last few months has been a purifying and a purging so that we could come out stronger as tried by fire so that God could have us ready and equipped for his last day purposes. Anybody believe that? Man, I sure do. I sure do. So family, familial type of love. And then there's phileo, which is the brotherly love. And, and I, um, I've got to tell you, I hear those cries all the time in the church and outside of the church where people say, I just need a friend. Uh, men, we say, we, we just need some friends, man. I just somebody, We love our wives and our wives. My best friend is Yvette, and I, I'm so thankful for those times. But, man, sometimes I need a man friend, okay? And, and sometimes I know you ladies need a women friend because, men, we can't talk woman. You know, I just, I can't do that. Um, so I try sometimes, and then, uh, you know, she starts talking, and I try to talk over, and she talks back over me, and then I ask what she was saying, and she said she doesn't remember. We, I just can't talk. Talk that language. So we need friendships. And we need to, and not only do we need friendships, but we need to be friends. I believe one of the greatest evangelical evangelistic tools in the world right now is learning how to be a friend. Be a friend to somebody who's lost. Be a friend to somebody who's hurting. To be a friend to somebody who's, who's in a place of confusion or despair or discouragement. And because of the incredible, amazing love of God, we can be friends like no other people in the entire world. Amen? Amen.